And I told him that you all needed three homes by the end of this year, or you all were going to have to turn some people down and they may have to live under a bridge when they get out of prison if you all can't help them. And he said, well, I'm not prepared to buy three homes, but before you leave today, I'll give you a check for 250000 for a home. Welcome back to One Visit Away with your host, Kevin Fitzpatrick. This show focuses on true stories of philanthropy in order to understand what it takes to succeed in major gift fundraising. Listen to these stories and you'll realize you're just one visit away from a transformational experience for your benefactors and your organization. Did you know that, according to research, only about one-third of the prospects fundraisers like you get thrown on their caseloads are truly qualified? And even fewer are actually ready for your outreach. Think about that. If you're like most, two-thirds of the leads you've been getting are not really qualified to be on your list. Sure, they might have given in the past and their wealth screen ratings might be high, but if they won't accept your outreach, what good is all that research anyway, right? It's a serious problem, but there is a solution. And you can find it in Greg Warner's book titled Engagement Fundraising, which you can get right now at no cost whatsoever at imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. That's right. You can learn how hundreds of organizations and thousands of fundraisers are succeeding in today's era of fundraising climate change by grabbing your free digital copy or audiobook version of Greg's very popular book today. Get it now. 100% free. Engagement fundraising at imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. That's imarketsmart.com forward slash free book. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the One Visit Away podcast. I am incredibly excited about this week's episode. This one's a little different. Um, it is a coaching call with an organization called Jumpstart, and they are a prison ministry in South Carolina. Um, Kerry Sanders is the chief executive officer of the organization, and he was one of the first people to purchase team access to my course. And so this podcast you're about to hear is a coaching call between me Carrie and their chief of staff, Tiffany Crosby. And it's a coaching call, but there's also some stories. It's it's just, I think, hopefully a very helpful conversation about major gifts. And Jumpstart is one of the coolest organizations I've gotten to know since I've started my podcast, been active on LinkedIn, and Carrie Sanders has one of the most incredible, inspiring stories you will ever hear. You need to go check out, I'm going to leave a link, there was a little documentary that was done about his life because he was arrested 17 times by age 17. He's a high school dropout and was serving, uh, I think it was like a nearly a 20-year sentence in prison when he wound up having an incredible conversion experience and then got involved with an organization called Jumpstart. And that helped transform his life. He got out of prison and now runs that organization in South Carolina. And it's an incredible story. The work that they do is unbelievably cool and effective. And I would highly encourage you to watch that documentary. Um, I'm going to leave a link in this uh, in the notes section of this podcast episode. And if you're not hooked within the first first 60 seconds, then I'll give you your money back. I hope you enjoy this conversation 
with Kerry Sanders and Tiffany Crosby from Jumpstart. The a question I would ask you, uh, and maybe you have a lot more follow-up there, but I'm curious, what's the biggest gift you've ever asked somebody for? 400000 Okay. What'd they say? They haven't said no yet. Okay. And was that was that four hundred thousand in like a one time chunk? Was that over a period of time? As, as part of our capital campaign. Okay. And is that like a five year campaign or? No, we're hoping to finish by the end of two thousand twenty five. So we're okay about halfway through our first first um, year on the capital campaign. Okay. The the public phase we went we were silent in the in the raising of money for a little while. So what's the what's the largest commitment someone's made so far? A four hundred thousand dollar commitment. Okay, so so someone has someone is doing that. Yeah, someone has given that, and then we've got another request for four hundred thousand. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um. Okay. So I could go down an endless list of of questions there, but my the reason I'm going there is. I would just ask for really big gifts. I, I like, I can't think of the number of organizations. I mean, the stuff in that, in that video of talking about the, you know, the average recidivism rate is, I can't remember which one was the 94 or 96% number. I, I guess it was the 96% rate that Jumpstart has compared to like the abysmal rate that's just normal. It's like, so few organizations can see, can prove impact like that. So few organizations are doing work in the community. Like you can go meet Bob. He's like, like, I, like I can show you to, I am one of those people. This is you talking. Yeah. And I mean, people give, people give enormous amounts of money to things that just don't matter. And <laughs> I would say are kind of silly and all, all of this is somewhat perspective, but it's like, I would really, I would really encourage you specifically Carrie, to dream probably a lot bigger than you have. I'll tell you a, a story yeah, that occurred this past yeah. month in July. Yeah. Um, and so for a couple of years, we've been trying to get involved with the church in the middle part of our state, they have multiple campuses and could provide volunteers to multiple facilities hmm. and just haven't been able to get an inroad. You know, they're a big organization with a lot of competing priorities. And so, you know, following your advice, I just followed up with them repeatedly over the past couple of years. And finally, I found a pastor in the upstate who really believed in our work. Their church had invested significantly. And I said, hey, will you take a trip down to this church? And try to get this pastor on board. He's like, well, it'll take me a full day. And I'm like, come on, you believe in us. Let's go. Mm -hmm. And so we went and the pastor said, well, I don't know what us, our church can do, but we'll we'll take it under advisement. Mm -hmm. On the way back, we're like, well, maybe that was a failed trip. We'll see. The guy calls me uh, two weeks ago and says, hey, Carrie, I, I really believe in what you all are doing. So I went to see one of my friends. And I just shared with him about your all's work. He had heard about it from some people he knew. And he asked me what your all's greatest need was. Mm. And I told him that you all needed three homes by the end of this year, or you all were going to have to turn some people down and 
They may have to live under a bridge when they get out of prison if you all can't help them. And he said, well, I'm not prepared to buy three homes, but before you leave today, I'll give you a check for 250000 for a home. Wow. So, so, so this is a guy we have never met. I'm still not sure of his name, um, but the check has cleared. And wow. So, um, wow. <laughs> and so just that persistence um, of following up with those that we already have connected to us, it does resonate. Yes. I think it's a constant temptation, you know, to want more and more raving fans. Um, mm. But I think the relational bridges are what are what move the needle. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly it. And that's an incredible story. And and that's that's exactly my point is like, can you imagine uh, what you would have to do to raise $250,000 in profit from some sort of digital marketing effort? Like, you can't even imagine that. No. But you can go talk to somebody and let them know. That's the other thing that I that I think is so compelling about y'all's mission is that it really matters if you fail. Like a, a lot of organizations don't get that. They can't they can't explain it and it's not on anybody's radar. It just feels like, hey, we're doing this, we're doing this good stuff, and you know, we like to keep doing good stuff. What do you say? It's like you can point to these are these three men or women who this is their future if we do not succeed. And that is not an option. And especially for somebody like for the type of person who is going to write that $250,000 check, like if you can find out who that is, I would really encourage you if you haven't to ask that pastor if he would speak to that donor and request if it would be all right if you met with him or if he were able to reveal his identity, because I want to know that guy's story. Yeah. I promise you he is not just uh, some dude with endless money and was just like, oh yeah, my pastor asked me to do it. Here you go. Like he has a reason that he could either he has a family member who wishes he wishes could have had an opportunity like this maybe he had a past like this maybe he knows if it wasn't for that one person coming into my life i would have been in that situation if it you know if it's just if the cards just fell a little bit different that could have been me but here i am you know making 4 million dollars a year and just super successful and not a <laughs> Obviously, he's got problems, but like, like he doesn't have. Where am I going to live? Who's going to trust me? How am I going to get a job? None of those things are on his radar, and he knows for some. He's got some story that makes him care about that, mm -hmm. and you need to know that story because the other thing is, he even said, "I'm not prepared to buy three homes today," yeah. but that leaves the the door open for. Well, it's not today anymore. And uh, and if we can get him thinking more long term and then the connections that he has is that's that's the route I would go for sure. That's a game changer for sure. Yeah. 
And the other thing I would add to it is for that, like, it's very possible his pastor was the best person to make that ask. But for a lot of people, you making the ask to them and knowing your story has a weight to it that is going to really stick with people. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to tell you another funny story. I know you like stories. Yeah. So one of our donors owns a um, private equity group in Greenville. And so mm-hmm. it took me about five times to get a meeting with him. I know he loves us, but he's busy and just kept I, every two weeks. Hey, when yeah. are we going to meet? Yeah. So I finally get to meet with him and um, we're having a good visit. And it mm-hmm. was the first time we had met in person. And he's given us probably $50,000 over five years mm-hmm. um, that we had spent one-on-one time together. And he picks up the phone and calls someone while I'm in his office hmm. and says, hey, you've got to meet this kid. I love what they're doing. And I know you've got plenty of extra cash right now. You need to come off of some of it. Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. And so the guy, the guy agrees to meet with me. And when I walk into his office, um, I start saying, you know, just introducing myself and like, hey, where would you like to begin today? I just want to yeah. kind of know you and share about what we're doing and seeing if there's some alignment. And very um, New Yorker-like, he Mm. says, I want to know how much money you want, and I don't want us to waste each other's time. And so I was like, well, you know, I didn't set this up. If you're not not interested, I can move on. I'd love the opportunity to share about, you know, what we're doing. Mm. Uh, And we ended up and had a two-hour conversation, um, and this was late June. um, And this week, he gave us a $50,000 gift, unsolicited. Wow. Wow. That is incredible. um, I, you know, so, but we still have a long ways to go, Kevin. And yeah, what's the, how much do you have left to raise? About 7 million. When I tell you, uh, you have to go ask somebody for a million dollar gift tomorrow, Mm -hmm. who comes to mind? You don't have to, you don't have to tell me their name specifically, but you're thinking of somebody already, right? Yeah, for sure. What do you think about going to, uh, and I'm not necessarily saying a million is the number, but. No, we are working of a million dollar gift. I believe that. Oh yeah, for sure. And so I would just start here. Okay. So you got 7 million left. Mm -hmm. The people that come to mind. Um, are people who have already given like five and six figure gifts to the campaign. Okay. Have circled back to them and like, Hey, who can you introduce me to that? We can talk to about this. So that kind of work is ongoing. Yeah. Um, And all of those people who have given five and six figure gifts were all of them specific asks that you or someone else made, or were some of them just kind of volunteer Kind of like this other guy that gave the 50000 with no specific request. Most of them were direct ask, but there okay. wasn't a number tied to it. Like, I don't try to put them in a range. I try oh. to them to consider, hey, I want you to do all the Lord leads you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. I would ask them for something specific. Okay. And I'll tell you why. And you can... This might take you a while to get comfortable with, or maybe you'll just disagree with me forever, and that's fine. But I'm going to tell you so that 
it sits with you. And hopefully at some point, Tiffany can yell at you to, uh, to reconsider as well. Does that every day. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure. Um, but I don't kn- I'm not familiar with the culture in Spartanburg, never been there, but I do live in Dallas and I spend a lot of time and I have spent a lot of time around people who make a lot of money and spend a lot of money and live in multi-million dollar houses and drive, you know, hundred thousand, four hundred thousand dollar cars. And what I know about all of those people is that they live in the US and they are surrounded by peers that spend and make as much money or more than them. And they live in a world that constantly tells them you need to buy more stuff. And this Tesla goes zero to 60.2 seconds faster than your old Tesla. And that's why you should spend $200,000 on it. And they say, okay. And they get messages like that every single day, like thousands of times. Mm-hmm. They're constantly being told, buy more, buy more, buy more. We all experience this. A lot of these people experience it sort of to a greater degree because they have the ability to like engage in it in a bigger way. Yeah. The number of times someone like you sits down with them and says, I would like you to consider giving a gift of a million dollars to this campaign is like once every few years, maybe compared to hundreds of times a day of spend your money on stupid crap that doesn't matter. And I would I would tell you that part of the gift that you are to these people is looking them in the eye and challenging them to do something greater than they will come to on their own their own thinking. And like, I get it. I get the idea of pray about it. Let's see what the Lord comes up with. But what I'm telling you is I think the Lord is asking you to help these people grow in this way. Yeah. You just made the post on LinkedIn like yesterday or something about part of, uh, you know, being part of an organization that's great is like it's not just the compensation it's the it's the culture it's the mission Mm -hmm. a lot of these people you live a very different life than they do when they wake up and and i don't i'm not categorizing these men and women as like bad or anything but they just they're surrounded a lot more by like you have to go make money That's what they think of when they wake up because they got to pay for all this stuff and they've got all these employees and they've got shareholders. You wake up and think, I have to go help this man because he's getting out of prison. And if I'm not there for him, if we're not there for him, shame on us. And 
people that don't live in your world need someone that lives in your world to challenge them to do something more significant. Because I promise, I promise you they can do it. Every person that you think of asking for a million dollar gift, I promise you they can give it to you. They might not want to, but they have the money. There isn't anyone you've thought of. I'm not saying it would be smart. Some of them, they might go pray about it and be like, that would be unwise, but they have a million dollars. There's a story of, uh, (laughs) I don't know if this is true. Many of these stories can't be confirmed, but they're, we'll just consider it as true. There's a story of Mother Teresa and she was, she was like, you know, uh, I guess she had some sort of office or something. And there was some, some businessman who came to visit her and he's sitting down in her office and he goes, uh, he goes here, I want to, I want to give this to you. It's, it's a check for a million dollars. And he slides it across the table and she looks at it and she says, she says, did this hurt? And he said, no, not really. And she slid it back across the table and she said, come back when it hurts. And he came back on a future visit with a check for $2 million. And she said, does that hurt? And he said, yes, it does. And, and my, my point to you is, is people need that. They just like none of these, none of these marketing organizations feel guilty about telling people they need to buy the new whatever Tesla or our $7 million mansion is better than your $5 million junk house. Um, and I, I want you to build up some confidence in, I'm going to ask this person for something specific. And because it gives them a, t- it gives them something to pray about. You're, you're not in any way negating well, part of my um, reluctance to do that is I have asked people for specific amounts. Um, but mm. some of the literature I've read is, you know, you don't want to put people into a category of, mm. you know, only ask for 150. Like last year, I asked a guy for 80 and he gave mm. it. And then I'm mm. left thinking like, well, we needed more than that. And right. so, you know, want to be, I just, what do you say to that? I would say if you wouldn't have asked him for 80, I would I would bet you a thousand dollars he would have given you less than that with yeah. extreme confidence. And and here's the reason why. Here's part of just the the logical reason why. Okay, so let's say you wouldn't have asked him for a specific number. You just said, I'd like you to consider a gift, you know, whatever, whatever God leads you to. Meanwhile, I happen to live in Spartanburg and I'm working for some other ministry. I go meet with him. You better believe I'm asking him for a specific number. Now he's got, let's say he has a hundred thousand dollars that he's designated. I'm going to give this away this year. If I asked him for 80,000 and you asked him for whatever you feel called to, well, it's a lot harder for him to disappoint me and say, well, I'm going to give you. 20 and I'll give Carrie 80 because you're not expecting anything from him. He's going to, and I mean, this is just like pure logic kind of thing, but like, he's going to, he's going to feel, he's going to feel better off 
giving you the 20 and giving me the 80 because he doesn't have to disappoint anybody. Right. And I'm not saying that's the best reason for somebody to give, but it's, it's very rare. You're going to ask somebody for a specific number and they would have given you more Mm -hmm. in some instances. It's rare, but I've seen a couple of times somebody asked for a specific number and the person did give more than that. Like they asked him for 80 and they're like, eh, I'm, I was actually thinking 100,000 and they'll do that. But people are almost always going to give what you asked for or less. Yeah. And if you don't ask for something, they're going to do whatever's comfortable. Yeah, that's good. Um, I've got a couple of questions, but I, I know Tiffany came prepared with a couple and yeah for an opportunity to share. I'm going to read it out. So how do you navigate hurdles as a fundraiser, such as youthfulness, building trust if you're new to an organization or wearing multiple hats in your organization? Okay. So youthfulness in terms of like you're young and maybe people don't uh, respect you or take you seriously? Yeah, like that. Yeah. So I definitely dealt with that because I mean, I'm still, I'm 30 now and I was 21 when I got started working in major gifts. And I think the, the two biggest pieces of advice I would have are one, don't make it about yourself. So every time I would go into a visit, or before I would make make calls, I would just say a quick prayer like, Lord, help me make this about them, not about me. Because if I'm if I'm focused on myself, then then yeah, like <laughs> I'm not qualified to do yeah. to do any of this stuff. But if I'm just focused on how can I serve this person, one, it frees me up to not have so much pressure on myself. Like like I'm not trying to achieve some particular outcome. I'm going to this visit trying to serve this person. And so I don't have as much pressure on myself, but also it just comes across to them. Like like if the value I bring to the relationship is that I'm so skilled or knowledgeable or something, well, then that's going to be a pretty low value thing because I didn't really know anything. Um, but if the value I bring is... I can help you achieve something. And a huge part of that is just asking questions and listening. I mean, the the number of people, no matter what their age is, who can sit down with someone else and just be interested in them and ask good questions and listen and care. Like if you can do that, people will people love that. And especially even the being the really young person, uh, it kind of endears people to you in a certain way because you're they kind of want to help you succeed. And it's like, wow, this person's they're, you know, a go-getter, they're out there working hard. Like I wanna, I wanna be on their team. Um, so that's one thing I'd say. The other thing I'd say is even from I mean, my you know, first days when I was like I was just a student in college, you know, <laughs> living in a dorm as an RA, going to class and making $10 an hour. I always viewed myself as a peer to everybody that I was meeting with. Like clearly they made infinitely more money than I did. 
all kinds of success, but like I, I never viewed it as they're the person that has the thing and I'm just the fundraiser. Like I really viewed myself as we are going to be partners on this. In fact, sometimes I kind of viewed like I'm the one that's got the opportunity. Like you've got money. Everybody's got money. I've got this incredible opportunity. Um, and, And I also just really like to... I mean, I was interested in business and personal finance and stuff like that. So I, I read a lot of stuff and I could talk about things that they were interested in. So, uh, yeah, that's a long answer to the first part of your question. Remind me of the second, the second one. Um, I said youthfulness, building trust if you are new to your organization and then mm. wear multiple hats in your organization as well. Yeah. So building trust <clears throat> If you're new to the organization, I like using being new to the organization as a reason to reach out to people. It's like, like if I got to get to know my portfolio, I'll let them know, hey, I'm brand new here. I'd love to get to know you, learn about your history of the organization. Um, especially if people ask, like if like, well, I, I don't have anything to give right now. Well, I really want to visit with you just so I can get to learn about this place. Like you've been given since the start. I'd love to learn from your perspective. Um, is that kind of along the lines of what you were asking or is there something, a different aspect? No, I think that, that answered that. And then the last thing, wearing multiple hats, I try to not do that. Um, that's not always going to be possible. And... It's it's a tough it's a tough thing, especially at a small organization. But I mean, when I was working in major gifts, I just as much as I could, I just didn't put those hats on. It was like people wanted me to go be the event planner or the email sender. Like we had a our headquarters was in Austin. I was in Dallas and there was a unique like Dallas list. And there was a weekly email that would go out to that list. And when I came on board, that was one of my responsibilities. And I just didn't do it. I was just like, I'm just not doing it. Like, <laughs> I don't like that's probably do not. <laughs> what's that? Someone else do it, or did you just? Well, just no one did it. Just no one did it for like a year or two. There was just no weekly email that went out. And that's. There are he was raised, probably. Exactly. And so and the reason I was doing it, it wasn't like I was just being a a lazy whatever. It was just like I this is not what is going to move the needle at this organization. And if someone like I'm focused on moving this organ, and it was unique because I was the only fundraiser at the organization. It, it wasn't a typical situation but but i the way i viewed it was like if someone really thinks this is important someone else is going to do it um and apparently no one else thought it was important because we didn't do it until we hired somebody for that position and so i'm not saying everyone should have the same approach to it that i did but i think it is important to ask as an organization and as a team what are the things we really want to focus on and be okay with asking the question 
do we really need to do X, Y, or Z? Everybody says you've got to do whatever. Yeah, they're just trying to sell something most of the time. Right. It's like, like, like what would happen if we stopped doing a particular responsibility? I would just put everything on the table as like, hey, put your crazy ideas out here. None of them are dumb, but we may or may not. I think it's important to just think crazy thoughts and see what happens. Mm-hmm. That's good. You, you kind of answered my second question, so I just have one more. Yeah. Did you always love making the ask, and um, or was that a task slash privilege that you grew to enjoy over time? And if if you encountered someone who was in a fundraising position who maybe didn't love it, but they wanted to make that flourish in that position, how would you suggest that they grow to love it? I'm not. I don't think I would say I would. I loved it because I was absolutely terrified of it. I mean, like, like, like I did not. I liked asking people for money in so far as I wanted to move our mission forward. And I, like I saw the connection, but like I was terrified, sweating bullets, like to the point that I had to tell myself you like, I would tell myself you have to make this ask in this visit, no matter what. (laughs) And that's not good advice because it can put you it can put you in situations where you're making an ask when you shouldn't, but I was just so scared of doing it. I had to, I had to make this crazy rule that it's like, there is, I I couldn't trust my judgment because I was so scared. So I, I did not like to do it. I was scared to do it, but eventually I just did it a lot. I got practice. I understood some of the reasons why I didn't like doing it because like I was doing it wrong. I was just, I I wasn't learning anything about the donor. I wasn't understanding anything about their thinking about why they give about what their capacity is. I would just seemingly randomly in the middle of a conversation say, would you consider giving us $10,000? And it was just, it was just really uncomfortable for everybody. Um, So practice getting experience but then also understanding like how can i get to the ask in a way that isn't just comfortable but it would almost be weird if i didn't ask the person like mm-hmm. everything is lined up we've yeah. served this many people this is our success rate we've got this many people in the pipeline it takes 5 million additional dollars to reach all of them over this period of time if I just stop there, and and, the, and by the way, I've said all this after the person has told me why they give to Jumpstart and some of the experiences they've had in their childhood and why this really matters to them. When all those things line up and then I bring them to the the cliffhanger and then I just stop, it's like, what? Like, wow. this is weird. Yeah, yeah. Because if you've done, I've found that when we've done our job well, um, most people are usually they're asking, how can I help? Mm-hmm. I've heard that before. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think I think one of the challenges yeah. I have in my role, um, Kevin, is I do have to wear multiple hats. Mm-hmm. Got to be thinking five years out. I mm-hmm. you know, am, am involved in daily operations with our team as far as mm-hmm. providing leadership. Um, 
And I, I actually genuinely enjoy meeting with our donors and spending time with them. Yeah. Like I've, I realized that the, the kind of people who are moving the needle forward for us are, I mean, they're incredible whether they ever write us a check or not. Right. Uh, what they've accomplished in life. And, mm-hmm. um, and so I've got a couple more questions. Do we have more time? Yeah. Yeah. I don't have anything immediately after this, so I can go over a little bit. Yeah. Um, so when you've met, you've met with a donor, you get to the ask, they give the gift um, and you begin, you know, expressing gratitude. Uh, how long do you typically wait before you would make another ask? Depends on a couple of factors. The first obvious one, like if I'm just, if I got nothing else to go on, it's usually the next calendar year or looking into the next year. So for example, like if someone if someone gave a gift today in August, I would probably I would probably go visit with them one more time. I'm thinking how I would play this tour like into 2024. But so like I visited with someone maybe last month, they give a gift today. Let's say it's $10,000. I would obviously call them, thank them. I'm going to write them a handwritten thank you note. That stuff's going to happen. Then at some point, ideally I would visit with them one more time I never want to have like two visits in a row where I ask somebody that's no good, usually unless it's some unique circumstance, but I would hopefully visit with them one more time, just have a social visit, hanging out, whatever. But then before the end of the year, I might ask them for a gift looking into 2024. Um, everything's everything's going to be unique. Uh, it's dependent upon. I would have to kind of go on a case by case instance. So it might be helpful to just talk about one specifically, but I'm almost never going to ask somebody for more than one gift in a year. If I, if I, if I have to ask them more than once in a year, I just didn't ask enough the first time. The other variable that can be thrown in is if someone has a liquidity event. So maybe they gave a gift but like I go visit with them and they let me know they're selling their business next month for $10 million. Well, I'm probably going to have a conversation with them either right then or very soon about addition an additional gift. Cause some big factor has, has changed. Yeah, that's good. Another question is do did you have like um, a schedule set up for how frequently did you meet with your major donors? Like, did you try to do it once a quarter, once every six months? Yeah, it just depends on each individual. My goal was to have at least two face-to-face visits a year with everybody in my portfolio. But some people didn't. Some people wanted to do less. Some people just wanted like, I want you to talk to me for 10 minutes once a year. And that was it. There's another couple I worked with that 
I met with them once a month. We'd go have breakfast once a month. And that was kind of their rhythm. They were also one of our top donors. So it made a lot of sense. Um, but I kind of... My, my goal is at least twice a year if it's what I want, but I also want to leave it up to the donor. And sometimes if I'm unsure, I'll just ask them like, Hey, what would be the ideal relation? What would the ideal relationship look like for you? Would that be meeting, you know, a couple times a year, once a quarter, and I'll just leave it to them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good stuff. Um, what strategies did or techniques did you use to keep your major donors aware of their impact? Mm, yeah. Uh, you know, currently I, I call them, I'll send them a handwritten thank you. You know, they're on our newsletter list. Um, and, but, and then we, you know, do a mailing once per quarter and we segment it between donors and non-donors. So we're trying to update them on their impact. Yeah. But I don't know if I may should be doing something, you know, more frequently. I'm not yeah. sure. How often do y'all get stories or testimonies of, uh, people who have impact been impacted by jumpstart at least once a week. Yeah. Okay. I would, anytime something comes across your attention that moves you or is like, wow, like this is why we do it. Yeah. I would get some informal screenshot of a message or a picture of something and a really brief story. And I would text it to everybody in your portfolio. I would like, what, like a mass if, texting tool or do it one by one, one by one. So if you've got, well, do you have a clearly defined portfolio? I know since you're the, okay. How many people are in it? 50. Okay. Yeah. I would, I would just do it one by one and mm-hmm. it takes a little bit of time, but you're mostly going to be copying and pasting. You don't even have to put somebody's, first name you can just because it's text it's informal and you can just put something like you know just got this message in about one of our uh what do y'all call them people you you serve participants Participants? Uh okay yeah just got this message in from one of our participants i don't know who knows here's a picture of him with his you know first day on the job at wherever thought you'd want to see this thanks so much for all your support of jumpstart boom I you just copy and paste that individual text to everybody in your portfolio. Right. And I mean, you can do that in you can do that in 15 minutes because you're not personally typing everything or putting their name. And you will get the highest response rate to anything you've ever sent. Yeah. But people I, yeah. Like I'm because of where I've been, like you know where I've been and where I spent a decade. Yeah. I, I lean towards the cynicism. Um, and I just imagine a donor getting that. I'm like, well, he's just after something else. No, I just, and I guess that's negative thinking that I've got to deal with on my end. You analyze everything. Yeah. And, and look, here's the thing. Okay. A, A couple things I would say about that. The reason you want to spend a lot of time with your donors and you want to be very direct with them is you want them to know I am a straight shooter. When I want something from you, I tell you directly. When I am going to have a conversation about generosity with you, I tell you directly. I don't just 
I don't just show up and pretend we're buddies and then one day start talking to you about jumpstart. Like I, I never put people in uncomfortable situations like that. When, when you're direct with people, they know Carrie's not BSing me or trying to like somehow passively ask me for money because when he asks me for money, he asks me for money. Um, and so, yeah, I would just let them know, let, allow them to experience who you are. And that's one way they will not be suspicious that you're trying to like pull some move. The other thing I'd tell you, some people might think that, and I would say, so what? Yeah. Some people, some, some people are cynical and they're going to go, here's that piece of garbage. carry just coming after us for our money. And it's like, yeah. Okay, like there's nothing you can Probably do. Probably aren't going to stay around anyhow. Yeah. Right, exactly. You're pretty good at this coaching thing, Kevin. No wonder you make the big bucks. <laughs> well, it's I'll I'll give you I'll give you one one other thing and I'm I'm going to try not to get myself in trouble here. But I like I'm telling you this cuz I want you I want to shake the idea of all these thoughts you have of you're like bothering people or you're I want you to know how much it matters if you ask somebody to do something um, like when I I was telling my wife when we were up in Michigan we went on a walk one night um, and like I was telling her about jumpstart and the video and I was like I was like now is definitely not the time <laughs> but like if I ever went back to work for an organization to like do major gifts, this is the type of place that I would be excited about. And like, I've never, like, I'm not thinking about doing that. And it's just, it would not be wise for a number of reasons just in our life situation right now. But that's encouraging. I hear you. Yeah. It's amazing what you're doing. And then the last thing that the the last part of it is like, that's what I was telling my wife. But if you were to tell me like, Kevin, I'd like you to consider coming to work for us. Like I wouldn't do it. (laughs) But like it would make me have some serious pause because like I don't even know you. I've never even met you. But like I am I'm just so drawn to what y'all do. And I am just I'm telling you to trust me and to go ask some people that you actually really do know, uh people, you know, in your church mentors of yours to give you their perspective on this. But you need to let people be a little uncomfortable because you are asking them to do something hard. Good advice, Kevin. Good advice. Well, that's good stuff. We are just one visit away from a transformational gift for our benefactors and our organization. That was Kerry Sanders and Tiffany Crosby with Jumpstart. I hope you enjoyed that episode as you heard Kerry signed us off there in the traditional one visit away ending but i really do hope this episode has inspired you to schedule more visits after all you're just one visit away 
from a $250,000 gift from a first-time donor. 